we don't want them to have this identity of I'm, I'm a this, I'm a loser, or I'm not included. Well, I wasn't included in this situation, in this slice. As children grow, so do the complexities of their problems. In elementary and middle school, it's common to see cliques form as children start to explore where it is that they fit in. Last week on the podcast, Dr. Emily Upshur, the co-founder of our joint practice, Upshur Bren Psychology Group, joined me to answer a listener's question about how to handle peer rejection, what to do, and how to emotionally support her young child. As Emily and I got into the conversation, we realized that while many of the foundational aspects remain, making a child feel validated and understood, helping them look at the situation from all sides, the way that we navigate these experiences with older children is slightly more nuanced. So we decided to keep the conversation going and record part two to help parents of older children understand some strategies and tools for navigating these kinds of situations. So whether your child is the one being excluded or you're observing some not-so-inclusive behaviors in your own child, this episode will help you develop an understanding of peer rejection in the elementary and preteen years and learn some red flags to alert you that it might be time to seek additional support. Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Bren, a clinical psychologist and mom of two. In this podcast, I've taken all of my clinical experience, current research on brain science and child psychology, and the insights I've gained on my own parenting journey, and distilled everything down into easy to understand and actionable parenting insights so you can tune out the noise and tune into your own authentic parenting voice with confidence and calm. This is Securely Attached. Hi, Emily. It's so nice to have you back on the podcast. Hey, guys. So good to be here. So we decided that we had done an episode previously where we talked about rejection in kids and how to respond to that as parents. And the conversation really revolved around sort of examples related to younger kids, you know, toddlers, very young elementary age age kids. And we really realized that while a lot of that stuff is relevant to older kids, and it's worth going back and listening to that episode if you want a refresher on that on some of that foundational stuff, that bigger kids have rejection in their lives too. And it sometimes plays out in different ways and how we respond to it might be similar to the way we respond to younger kids, but it might be more nuanced and slightly different too. So we wanted to talk a little bit and do a follow-up episode on when older kids are feeling rejection from peers. Um, or older, or are rejecting peers, you know, we're going to talk about both sides of that coin. Um, how do we as parents support kids that are experiencing this? How do we sort of model and teach alternative behaviors, things like that? Yeah. And I think this is such a great topic because it might, it does, some of the tenants are really similar, but it, it does present differently. So it could be more like not fitting in. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily is doesn't feel as overt, maybe as rejection, but it's, you know, it can be a little bit more subtle. So in terms of like, you know, not fitting in with groups or not finding a peer social group, that's the right, just the right fit for your child. Right. Um, So I think that that's where this comes up a little bit Um, in the older kids is more in that more nuanced way of, you know, do I fit in? Do I not fit in? Which group do I fit in? So there's a bit of identity in there as well. Identity yeah. 
Yeah. And I think there's also different ways kids at this age have a little more autonomy socially. And so they are creating groups and they are having crushes and they are making their own plans. And so exclusion can happen in a different, some of them are online and there, we could talk a little bit about that too. You know, I think when little kids reject one another, it's more like you can't play with my toy or, or I don't want you here. Go away. Um, it's this like really kind of raw, unfiltered, you know, rejection. And that's painful. It's painful to witness as a parent. It's painful to receive as one of the receiving end. It doesn't feel good to do it. When kids do that, they're not in a comfortable place. So we can have empathy for all parts to that. But when bigger kids are dealing with rejection, it's, yeah, I like your, I think your point's really accurate that it's this sort of, it can feel insidious. It can feel subtle. It can feel indirect. There can be more passive aggression. Right, and I think to, exactly to your point, I think a really important piece from our, from a parenting side, right, from our side is we're much more involved in the younger child. And so you're able to sort of bridge some of those repairs as a parent of a younger child. Potentially even you give a situation, you know, you can present another situation where a repair might be able to happen or a redo, you know, can occur. Um, and as, and as an a parent of an, as you as you get older, you know, parents get, can be a little ousted from those processes. And so it's a little bit like, how do we follow that, you know, that dance, that fine line between, you know, letting our child be independent and sort of figuring some of these things out, but also being supportive. And are there times when we should step in, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and try to figure out sort of all of that with your child who has a little bit more um, independence and finding, you're right, exactly, finding their own play dates, gravitating to their own circles. Um, and then how as parents do we support them when they have a little, when we're less involved a little bit in some ways, right? Absolutely. So let's think about a scenario, right? You have a kid who is maybe coming to you or maybe you're observing this, who's feeling like, I'm not getting invited to birthday parties. I'm not getting invited on play dates. Um, kids aren't asking me to sit with them at school. Um, and I'm feeling left out. Some kids will come to their parents about this. Some parents hear a lot about this side and, and, and that's wonderful when kids feel like they can talk to us about that. I also think a lot of times kids are ashamed of this experience and they don't feel comfortable talking to them. They're they're embarrassed that they feel badly and they don't really want to share this sort of um, part of themselves with their parents that they might feel ashamed of. And so parents are maybe watching from the outside, observing this occur. You know, I'm curious for, maybe we could talk about both scenarios for the parents whose kids are coming to them crying or, 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 or distressed about this. How can they support them? And then maybe also talk a little bit about the parents who are watching it happen, but aren't getting invited to the conversation and how they can sort of support nonetheless. Yeah. I mean, I, I always think of this as like two, for both of the scenarios, really two, two paths, right? There's outward things you can do to help your child. So one of the things I love to say is to parents, just for child resilience as a general concept, particularly as a protective factor against some of these things are get your child involved in multiple things, in multiple settings, right? You know, you might 
you know, be, you know, really in love with your community and you love doing all of your activities and your, you know, sports and your plays and your stuff all within your one community. But sometimes it's nice to do a class outside of your community, build opportunities for your children to have friends in other settings that aren't just home kind of, mm-hmm. right. Um, that can also look like sleepaway camp or day camp that not everybody from your community is going to, you know, like you can branch off a little. And I always really encourage that for, for all children as a protective factor against, you know, like if you don't fit in prophylactically, but also that can be a, you can do that as a reaction. Oh, you know what? I think we're doing a lot, you know, right here in our town or right here in our community. And like, maybe we should try doing an activity outside and like, let's see if we can make some friends outside of our community. One or two friends outside of your everyday school life, um, is a really great protective factor because if something falls out with that group of friends, you always have your camp friends or your, you know, totally. Play friend, you know, play, You're play diversifying play. their friend portfolio. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think that's like a what parents can do from the outside, right? And then how do we parent? How do we address the internal emotional life of the child? Is the other piece, right? So I say, you know, for the parent who's getting all of the information and the child is sort of initiating those conversations, um, I always say, you know, really your first job is to listen, not to fix, right? I think as parents, we have to slow down and get, you know, really take a deep breath and say like, okay, this might be kind of tough and they feel tough and, and I, it's my instinct to protect my child or to make it go away and and that's actually not our job in that moment, right? Mm-hmm. Our job is to, as we, you know, Sarah and I always say, like, let's look under the hood, right? Let's figure out what's going on and see if we can label how they're feeling in those moments. So listening is step one, right? We always want to listen. We want to listen with empathy. Um, but the other piece I, I say is like maybe a little bit controversial, which is also listen with what the role your child could be playing is, right? And we, I think we said this in our previous episodes a little, like, you know, everybody had a, di- a relationship is a dynamic and everybody has their role. And so if we really want to change how that child's being received, like we have to look a little bit about how they're interacting too, right? It, it's not just about the other kids, the other side, the kids that, re- that are rejecting. Um, so I think it's important to look at both sides, right? We can support our child with looking at both sides. And I think that's actually the most effective. that's not to say I, we, I think we have said this before. I think that's not to say we shouldn't have arm our children with the ability to assert boundaries and assert when behaviors are not acceptable to them. That is really an important value too, right? We really do want to give them that skill. That's not okay with me. I don't like the way you spoke to me. You know, that's not cool. You know, even just that's not cool. That's, you know, that's not how I like to be talked to, or that's not a nice friend, right? And even giving them some examples helps them practice saying those things in those situations. Um, but on the other hand, we sort of want to look under the hood and say, like, what's going on here? Like, why is this dynamic happening? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's important to, in along those lines, to kind of help our child to not get into this victim mentality. We don't want them entrenched in this idea that, like, everyone is mean to me and I, because that that if you internalize yourself as a victim and don't have this flexibility around roles, right? Sometimes people don't include me. Sometimes I don't feel like playing with other people as well. And that 
we were always us. And then we receive things and behave in certain ways. And that that's what changes. So to just help our child to feel flexible around these ideas, instead of sort of rigidly fixed in this self view that like, I am the victim. Yeah. And I think what you're talking about is like growth mindset, right? I am not one fixed thing. I am not an unpopular kid, right? Like, oh, well, maybe I don't fit in in this setting, but I, you know, I fit in at soccer over here. You know, I think that sort of growth mentality or that not fixed mentality is really, really important. And sort of what we're talking about here is, is creating opportunities for that both externally and internally, right? Giving those, those opportunities for that growth. And I think, you know, just for like thinking about like what, what can a parent actually say in these moments? What is supporting a growth mindset look like? And I think it's kind of like this, this balancing act of you validating their experience, their feelings, and also communicating confidence that they can figure this out a bit, that this is something that they can work through. So you know, we don't want to diminish and dismiss and say, oh, no, no, this isn't that big a deal. You know, they were just trying to be not, they were just, maybe they didn't get it or we don't just want to take the other side, right? And try to minimize our child's experience. We want to validate, oh, that does not feel good when that happens. I'm sorry that happened. You know, that's really hard. We don't have to say a ton. We can say one of those things. We don't say all three of them. But then you also want to throw in that piece of like, I wonder how you'll figure this out. Or, you know, I wonder what was going on for those kids. So you're like kind of exploring the alternative side without saying like, that's the only place to be. Conversely, you don't want to just live in the validation only and just being like, you poor thing, that's so terrible. This always happens to you. Those kids are just jerks. Everybody's, you know, screw them, (laughs) which obviously some part of us as a parent wants to say. (laughs) Like, people are being mean to our kid. We want, we do get upset and we would, it would feel good to say, like, ugh, those kids are just brats. Yeah. But I think, I think what you're talking about is like the, it's not my kid, right? And, or it wasn't my kid. It's not my kid. It must've been the other kid that you're feeling inside of feeling defensive as a parent. Like my kid doesn't talk like that. My kid doesn't act like that or shame. Like, oh my God, they better not have acted like that because that would be devastating to me or that would be really upsetting to me. And I think, you know, in my, you know, just anecdotally with my own kids, even if they're in the wrong, I still think it's important you know, or so rather, even if the other person is in, seems to be overtly in the wrong, I think it's really important to build up your child too, to say like, yeah, you know, bad things happen and, and that's really tough. And like, I, that it doesn't feel good, but I know you can handle this, right? I know this could be an experience that could be uncomfortable and, and, you know, like you don't want it to repeat again, but I know, I know you got this, right? And I think that that's part of it. And also, Again, I always say like, you know, so like what happened, we talk about the ABCs all the time. What happened before antecedents, the behavior and the consequence. And I always think that, well, what happened right before? Cause I, cause I, cause I don't think there's ever any one way street in these social interactions. Right. So it is important to sort of get the, get behind the nuance and not just jump on 
anyone's bandwagon, really, you know. And the other piece I just want to add, which I'm famous for saying and my kids hate, is I always say, like, nobody loves you 100%, right? Like, nobody likes you 100%, you know, nobody, you know. And so, or maybe just us as parents, but, you know, for the... (laughs) For social relationships, like a hundred percent of the time, you know, someone doesn't like you a hundred percent of the time. So it's okay if there's like that 5% that they're annoyed with you. That's okay. That doesn't mean they don't like you. It's just, that's 5%. And I always, sometimes I'll conjure up a pie and say, it's just this slice, you know, so that they don't become overly focused again, to your point, Sarah, like we don't want them to have this identity of I'm, I'm a, this, I'm a loser or I'm not included. Well, I wasn't included in this situation, in this slice. Right. Right. And I think that's a helpful thing to help kids, to make it really concrete for kids is to localize it to that particular moment, Yeah, you know, or that particular situation or that particular setting or that particular group of children. So that there's a way in which the child is also able to, to zoom out and look at other interactions that they have, other relationships that they have, other situations that socially that they have been in where things have gone well and they've felt included and they've had connection. Um, Definitely. And I think the other thing is to open up conversation. I think we're sort of dancing around that a little bit here, but I think that's our, like if we were to give a parent one message, it would say like on either side, if your kid was mean or your kid was, you know, received something mean, try not to shut down the conversation, right? Approach it with curiosity. So whether, you know, that's saying like, you know, because if you shut down, get really defensive, you know, and your child did do something a little bit, maybe it was just, again, not 100%, but maybe they were 10% mean, that doesn't give them the chance to own that piece, right? And to be able to say like, oh, maybe I was a little, I mean, I wasn't overtly mean mommy, but maybe I was like a little bit, you know, unsavory in that moment. And, and it's much better from a developmental standpoint and from an emotional sophistication standpoint for them to be able to sort of own even that 10%. And it doesn't have to be catastrophic, but if we brush over that or we shut down that conversation, well, you weren't being rude, were you? You weren't being, you know, disrespectful or you weren't being unkind, right? You know, if we shut that down, we don't really give the opportunity for them to really own their full experience. And look, nobody's perfect. And these are kids and they're learning. And so I really like to keep it like open and unsafe and safe to sort of have these exploratory conversations and and um, give them opportunities to own the whole experience. Yeah, I think that's really good, good advice. I'm thinking too for the parents who maybe don't get to have the conversations, you know, like how they're sitting here being like, well, my child doesn't talk to me. So how do I have an open conversation? They shut it down. They're like, no, I don't want to talk about it. You know, how can we, I often talk about like, you got to sprinkle it on. You have to just find these little things where like these moments where you can like sprinkle something on them. It's not an exchange. It's not a back and forth. They're not sprinkling anything back. But when you, it's like you plant these little seeds and every time you make a little comment, you're putting like a drop of water on that seed. And if you do it a lot, repeatedly over time, eventually that seed's going to bloom into something of value. So it's like maybe you're just making a comment like, you know, your child's down, you can see they're not feeling themselves and you, and they, you know, you ask how things are going at school and they say like, fine, or leave me alone. I want to talk about it. 
instead of drilling in on like, why don't you ever talk to me about things? I'm, you know, to simply just be like, huh, when things are hard, it can be hard to talk about it. I get that. I'm here when you're ready. That's a sprinkle, right? That's a, you're planting a seed of like accepting where they're at in that moment and then keeping that door open. And then there are other opportunities where you can say, you know, as things randomly emerge in life, you can tuck in little like anecdotes, like, you know, when I don't get along with people, sometimes I do this or, you know, talking about your own stories, talking about conflicts at work when you're at the dinner table saying like, I had a tricky meeting today and I was feeling kind of like I was left out and I didn't get a chance to talk or say the thing I wanted to say and it didn't feel good. Sometimes we can just validate that we share that same experience to our kid. They feel a little less alone in it. Um, Sometimes we can offer a way that we challenge that, you know, met that challenge with a solution or with a effort to make ourselves feel okay. Um, But yeah, I'm curious, you know, what you think about what do parents do when like their kids won't actually. Yeah. I mean, I I echo a lot of the things you say. I call it throwing spaghetti on the wall and seeing what sticks a little bit. I'm like, throw a little spaghetti. You, I never really, I, I caution parents to never really expect an aha moment back, but we call, we in our field, right. We call this reflective functioning, which means you know, imagining what the other person is thinking or feeling. So if we can give our best bet, like I, I truly believe parents are experts in their children. They're the best that we, they got at least, right? Often, and they know their child better than anyone else usually. So if we can give our best bet about what's going on with that child, throw it out there softly, a little bit, like a little, a couple pieces, strings of pasta, right? Like, oh, I wonder if you had a hard day at school today. when I have a hard day, you know, sometimes I like to X, right? Or, you know, sometimes it's more overt. I think parents get worried because they see their child not be included, right? Um, They see that they're not being invited to the parties or invited to the a play date or their child doesn't have um, their own independent social activities outside of, uh, they come straight home from school or something like that. You know, I think that I love the idea of sharing anecdotes of your own experiences and, or of your childhood experience, your own experience as a child, like reflecting back. Um, and I also think it's just, it's p- throwing out there what you imagine might be going on. Oh, transit, you know, starting a new school is really hard or starting middle school. Oh, middle school is really tough. You know, some, it's so hard to figure out where to sit in the cafeteria, you know, or, you know, sometimes people are just tough in middle, you know, like kids are, can say mean things and, you know, you can just throw a little of that out there. They might say yes, you know, but often they won't. This, this child that we're talking about in this scenario might not, but it doesn't mean they don't feel seen. Um, and it doesn't mean you have to hit the nail right on the head, but trying and putting some of those things out there can make them feel seen, you know, and understood in a way, even if we don't get that, <laughs> even if the parent doesn't get the satisfaction of hearing that, 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 that works. It right. is and I think that's a helpful mindset shift, right? My goal as the parent in this kind of a moment with this kind of a child, that's a little more closed in. My goal isn't to get them to necessarily, I mean, obviously we do want them to open up and talk to us, but my goal in any particular moment is not to get them to open up and talk to me. My goal in any particular moment is to just let them know I see them and I get it. 
I can understand what they might be thinking or feeling in that moment. And that's it. So it's a one way, it's a one way goal. Yes. And if we shift our mindset to expecting that this is what we're looking for, I'm just delivering information to them or I'm del- I'm communicating something to them versus trying to get them to communicate something to me. I think that takes a lot of pressure off of us to feel like, when is our job done? <laughs> our right. job is done when we've sprinkled the thing or, you know, thrown the spaghetti at them or any other <laughs> metaphor for like, it's a one way, it's a one way offering in that, in that moment. Yeah. And I think that, that what you were just saying just occurred to me that the other thing that I like to present to parents is, you know, maybe it's not us that they want to talk to in those moments. Right. And that's can be tough as a parent, but that's also really impactful to say like, maybe you want to talk to your aunt about this or a cousin or, you know, a family friend, right? Like maybe there's someone else. Or a therapist. Right. And I think little kids or big kids can get a little uncomfortable with the idea of a therapist. So like there's, you know, I think the idea of presenting to a child, the idea of like encouraging them to speak to a therapist, like how could we, I mean, we talk about this a lot when we talk to parents who reach out to us that are like, I think my child needs to talk to somebody. How do I tell them that like, we're going to go try therapy? Like, how do I have that conversation with my kids? Yeah. I love that because I think, you know, in our practice, we talk about this all the time, which is, you know, we are, one of our goals is to normalize therapy, right? Like you can Mm -hmm. talk to someone once you could talk to someone 10 times, you know, you could talk to someone for years or, you know, it it can be very a la carte, right? Like it's very personalized and for your experience. And, and a lot of our children get supports for so many things, you know, like this, right? They have a tutor if they're struggling in math. They have uh, someone who, you know, throws a base, uh, practices pitching with them if they're a baseball player, right? And so I always say to parents, like, this is just another one of those things. You know, we're kind of, we fill a role that's kind of like a coach or a tutor. You know, we are experts in in these feelings. We're feelings people, right? We're feelings Mm -hmm. coaches. And so I sort of, I give that, those analogies to parents, even parents who are reticent to make it too big of a deal, quote unquote. Right. Right. And I think that, and I think that presenting it in these ways and sort of normalizing, like everybody needs to tune up every now and again for something that they are struggling with. Um, so yeah, I think, I think putting it out there, um, and, and I think it's very important. I actually think it's fairly important to be very explicit that you could just try it one time. Like, it's okay. Like this isn't a, we're signing you up for the year, you know, type of thing. I think it's really important to give it a, give some of these things a try or prioritize them. And sometimes parents, frankly, need to be a little bit more firm. Like if my child's failing math, it's not an option for him to not have a tutor, right? So if my child's really struggling and we can see it, we can see tears or we can see a stress or emotional um, dysregulation frequently. Or isolation. That's another big one is like we see kids who want to just be in their room alone all the time. Exactly. And I think, you know, we wouldn't say to that child, like, it's your choice whether to, you know, get help with that or not. Right. So I think it's, it's, I think we can have both sort of, um, angles in that we can be a little bit more flexible and say like, Hey, would you like to talk to somebody? Like there's this thing, you know, called therapy and people go, and it's just like, uh, you know, coaching for your, this, or, you know, like they, they can give analogies. Um, and I think there are other times where we might have to say like, we're going to try this for a little bit. 
and we're, and be a little bit more firm. Um, if we're really truly concerned and particularly with a little bit older children where they really aren't sharing with us and, and it could be a matter of more safety or a matter of, you know, sort of their emotional health. Yeah. And I'm curious, maybe we could talk a little bit about signs that a child might really be ready to try therapy, whether they're, whether they know it or not, whether it would be something that you and I would say, yep, that's a kid who'd really benefit from therapy. And it's probably important that it's something on everyone's radar. Yeah. I think like we're talking about, we talk when, for when people come to us, we think about two different things. We think about people who have internalizing disorders, right? So people who withdraw, um, take things emotionally and are really, you know, we can, they're the kid who's in their room isolating a little bit more potentially, right? And then there are externalizing disorders, right? There are kids that are getting into fights at school or maybe they're bullying other kids or, you know, that type of thing that's happening. And I think we really want to address both of those things. So like, let's say your kid has gotten into a couple of fights, like physical fights or yelling fights, verbal fights. And it just seems like, hmm, this is happening a little bit more than I'd like, right? Like this is, this is like, seems like it's expressing or they're, or they're more argumentative in a, you know, with teachers or authority figures or even at home. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's all, that's often a sign, um, that maybe something's going on and even whether they're talking to you about it or not, it might be a time to ask for a little bit more help, um, from a mm-hmm. professional. Um, other external things would be like, you know, your grades change, there's a drop in your grades or your school performance. Um, maybe you used to have a friend group and, and you, now you don't seem to have one, right? Like you have a loss of fitting in or a loss of a friend group, right? Like a change in what's baseline. Maybe it's that you used to be like an ebullient sort of big giggly externalizing happy kid. And now you seem a little bit more withdrawn and, you know, not, not so cheerful. You know, I, those are just some off the top of my head examples of externalizing ones. Yeah. And one more externalizing thing that would, you know, pique my interest as a therapist is, are they expressing a lot of worries? Are they coming to you for a lot of reassurance? Are they asking you to sort of, you know, make them feel better, um, reduce anxiety, help them avoid things, soliciting your help in managing worries or anxiety or fears? Um, That would also be a good sign that talking to a therapist could be helpful. Sure. And I think from a developmental standpoint, that's a great point, right? Because maybe they didn't used to ask for that much help, right? Maybe they didn't used to need you to walk them into a birthday party or, you know, maybe they used to want you to scram, you know, from an event or something. And and now they're seeking a little bit more of that. I think that's not necessarily, it might, we might not catch that right away, right? We, we might not catch that as um, a sign because, you know, as parents, we kind of miss those times sometimes, you know, like being more needed. So I think that there's a little bit of keeping your radar up for, yeah, for things that maybe skills they used to have that they, they aren't um, hanging on to as much anymore. Mm-hmm. Or one other thing that makes you think is like not wanting to do things you used to do. Like, like, I don't want to play the sport anymore. I don't want to do this activity anymore. I don't want to do any activity anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, like pulling out of of things. Um, yeah. And loss of interest, which yes. is a great, which is, yeah, definitely, um, definitely. And, and it gets harder as they get older. So I think that that's definitely a sign, um, of some of that. And then for the internalizing things, I think, um, isolating is really important to look out for shutting down, 
um, not talking to anyone. Like it's okay if your kid doesn't necessarily want to talk to you, but are they talking to your partner or their siblings? You know, are they talking to family members? It's important for them to have some sort of outlet. Um, sometimes we'll even see things like loss of appetite and weight loss or disruptions in sleep. Um, those are really important to keep in mind so that we can just sort of see how things play out. Um, and again, that might be, it might be, you know, none of these things are like a couple of days of this. It, this is more of like a, you know, this has been going on for a few weeks. This has been going on for a month. Oh, wait, maybe a couple months have passed and you sort of notice that it's a slow decline and yeah. or slow change. And so I think we're talking a lot about ways that we as parents want to have on our radar signs and, and, you know, little bells that can, that can help us to know, okay, this doesn't feel like it's feeling good for my kid. I'm noticing distress or I'm noticing a decline in functioning in some meaningful way. I want to reach out for help. There's also kind of a flip side to this, which I think as parents, we're all guilty of sometimes, which is where we're like getting really anxious about a problem that may not in fact be our child's problem, but may be more of our own anxiety or our own worry. Um, maybe our own personalizing of what's happening to them, projecting some of our own worries and fears onto the situation. So what do you, what, let's talk a little bit about that, that, that piece. I think that's a really important point because whether that's that we're sort of taking a little bit of a thing and making a big thing out of it, right? Or it's just not even a thing and we're sort of making it into a thing. I think both require the same strategy, right? Both require us to take our first line is to check in with ourselves, to slow down, check with ourselves. Like, am I really, am I, am I extra upset about this for some reason that may be personal to me? Like, was I rejected in some way as a child or did I feel that my siblings left me out? And so I'm, you know, putting that on the situation here, those types of things, just sort of like slowing down, I think is a really important thing. The other part of that, which is we sort of are circling back, we mentioned in the beginning is really, really listening to your child, right? So if you, or listening, that that be either listening to what they're saying to you or looking for the signs of what's happening in your child, because that's helps you sort of modulate your own feelings, right? And take it, take it a little bit of a step back. And I always say, take a little bit of a parachute view and say, okay, so how much of this is me, my worries, of course, our natural protectiveness of our children, which is by the way, biological. So I never want parents to feel ashamed for having that initial reaction at first. It's so important. It's, it's our, we have children and we are biologically wired to want to protect them. So that's absolutely okay. But I think sometimes we have to put that in check, right? We have to sort of like say like, oof, is this as much, is this war as warranted as it feels right now? Um, mm -hmm. And I think that that's, that's an important piece of it. And also I think, you know, I do think sometimes it's really helpful to use your community you know, circulate your, your concern. Like, am I overreacting to this? And use your peers, use your teachers, use your friends. Um, and then, and then I think that helps you put it into perspective a little bit, um, and taking it out of just sort of this very myopic, isolated events with, within your family or within your child. Yeah. And like speaking to kind of like your point earlier, like when we were talking about kids going to therapy for like a session sometimes just mm -hmm. to have them feel like they have an opportunity to have a check-in. 
you know, in our practice, we offer like one-off parenting consultations if, you know, for parents who are like, I am seeing this. Is this a thing I need to be concerned about? A lot of clinicians will do one-off parenting consults just to get it, help you get a read. So like, you know, maybe you're floating it by your parents or maybe you're floating it by your peers or maybe you're floating it by your kids' teachers or maybe you don't have a community to check in with or you're getting feedback from them that still doesn't align with your sense of things. (laughs) And you, it's okay to check in with a professional just once, you know, just to have that sort of objective lens on the situation and it doesn't need to be necessarily a long-term treatment for your child or a, even long-term parenting support. It could just be a single consultation. I do those all the time where people are Absolutely. like, this is going on. Do I need to worry about this? Absolutely. And I love it. And, and I think, I think it's so helpful. And I think the thing that I think you really hit the nail on the head is that you can't get from some of your, your, you know, other communities is the, that objectivity, right? Like this is somebody totally outside of, has no, they have no skin in the game is, is how I like to think of it, right? <laughs> and so, you know, it's really, you're right. Like it's really, we do this often. And in fact, I think it's really helpful, right? You know, and then it, like, let's say this fades away and, you know, your kid sort of, remember children change constantly, right? Mm-hmm. So this goes away and you feel like, all right, well, I, I had this nice check-in with somebody and it was okay. Or let's say like maybe it pops up now and again in the future, you can always check in and do a touch base um, with the professional to say like, is this still normative? Is this still within, you know, what, what we, what we think is okay. And that I don't have to like, you know, worry too much or t- intervene too much around. Um, and then that just helps you sort of have a, get the game plan really, you know? Right. Right. And I think that just knowing you have a professional on your Rolodex, you know, that you can like, or I guess that's a really antiquated term, even for my own age, <laughs> This idea of Rolodex, but like on speed dial, whatever, saved in your contacts. That like sure. every once in a while, you can just be like, I have this person and I just want to do a check in. Um, like, I love doing that work with parents because I don't, I mean, I see, I work with a lot of parents who don't need weekly sessions with me. Absolutely. You know, I see them mm-hmm. every couple months when something is challenging and we work through it, troubleshoot, and then they're off on their merry way and things they they have the skills to really handle the majority of parenting most of the time and it's a support it's it's just a thing that exists when you need it absolutely and i also think it it's it's really nice to even just talk through what you might say to your children, some of the things we're talking about, right? Like, it's just nice to have a little bit of a practice on how you might talk to a a child who's withdrawn, right? You Mm -hmm. know, that's a really, it just gives us a little bit more of a skill, um, even for fantastic parents, right? It just gives you another angle and another practice, really, you know? Yeah. And helps you feel less alone in it. Because this can be, watching your kid struggle, can be incredibly isolating for a parent, especially in those situations where your child isn't including you in the conversation. You could feel very helpless and very isolated from them and very lonely and sort of that's, I think, especially a good time to reach out for a little support. I also think sometimes when your child is coming at you with lots of pain, it can feel really overwhelming and flooding and you can be at a loss for what to say when they come to you. And feel, so that's, I think, 
very different sort of experiences, but also very good reasons to get support. Yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's excellent. I know it's really good. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming and we'll, we'll, we've got more questions on the coming in. So we'll be doing a few more of these soon. So stay tuned for some more Emily Upshur. <laughs> we love it when you come on. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. If you are concerned about your own child, there are places you can turn to for support. Whether you're interested in a one-off parent coaching session or you want to start weekly therapeutic services for yourself or your child, you can always reach out to us at Upshur Brun Psychology Group for a complimentary 15-minute assessment call. One thing to note is that we offer therapy to New York State residents only, but we do offer parent coaching nationally, and we can help you determine what level of support is most appropriate for your unique needs. To learn more about the services we offer and to set up your consult call, go to upshurbren.com. That's U-P-S-H-U-R-B-R-E-N.com. And if you have a question you want Dr. Emily or me to answer on the podcast, let me know. You can email me at sarah at drsarahbren.com or go to drsarahbren on Instagram and send me a DM. Thanks for listening and don't be a stranger.